Amen. Thank you, Sophia. Um, I don't know if you know this. Um, actually, before I say that, congratulations. Everybody signed up for donut time. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but Sophia very intentionally chooses one hymn that we sing in the 830 and 11 to sing here in 945, which I think is really cool as a way to connect us as uh, a congregation. A congregation, one church, not just one service, one church. Amen. Our reading this morning, we are continuing our uh, passage through Luke, and our reading this morning comes from Luke's gospel in the 12th chapter. This is probably a familiar story. Uh, It's at least a familiar message. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, Who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought for himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, you are our redeemer, and you are the only one who can sustain us. Sustain us, O God, this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. In in 2019, the United Methodist Church came together for a special called General Conference. Now, if you don't know anything about the United Methodist uh, polity, that would be the way in which United Methodists run themselves. Congratulations, consider yourself lucky. Um, But basically, there's a body that is made up of 50% clergy and 50% laity. We are a very democratic denomination. That that is the only body that can speak on behalf of the entire denomination. Okay, And so since the early 1970s, our denomination has been arguing, and I mean arguing, about human sexuality. You've probably read about this in the newspaper recently, right? This is something that we have been living with for literally decades now. And so in 2019, the conference came together and they said, you know what? Let's just end this. Let's just figure out a solution. So they had a special called General Conference. Now, we are a global church. That means that we have plenty of membership in the United States. We have a lot of membership in Europe, a little bit in Asia. We have a ton in Africa. So as you can imagine, to gather people that would be democratically elected, right, across the entire world is a very expensive endeavor. Can you, can you picture this? Right, very expensive endeavor. So to do this was a big deal because we were going to do it in 2019 and had COVID not happened, we would have 
done it in 2020 as well. So we're spending millions of dollars to do this, but we feel like this will be best for our church, right? And the topic that we were going to come together with for three days, the topic we were going to discuss was human sexuality. And so when we got there in 2019, now I say we, I wasn't there, but when they got to all, all gathered in St. Louis, they do the thing that they do at the beginning of every general conference, and that is to prioritize what topics they're going to discuss first, okay? And you would imagine for 2019, that topic would have been human sexuality, And what happened actually, though, is that the very first topic that got selected and prioritized was pastoral pension plans. It was the very first topic. Seemed a little strange. As a a friend of mine says, when you want to know where someone's heart is, mess with their money. You know? This passage is pretty familiar to us, and you may be familiar with maybe the even more familiar passage, uh, don't store up treasures in heaven, right? I mean, don't store, please, store them up in in heaven. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store them up in heaven. And so, when we start to discuss matters of money or, or, or sustenance, things that help us survive, it gets a little odd. You may have been aware that this very week, there was a lottery, <laughs> the Mega Millions, on Friday night, I believe it was. Uh, the Mega Millions was $1.2 billion when we were all standing in line at Circle K, right? <laughs> $1.2 billion. It was funny to me because by the time they announced that there was one singular winner in Illinois, which is not the state we live in, <laughs> it was a bummer to read. <laughs> that there was one singular winner in Illinois, it was $1.4 billion, and they just casually mentioned that. Overnight, the, the jackpot raised by $200, billion, or $200 million, do you hear me? $200 million, what? Life-changing money, right? In and of itself, but it was raised just overnight. And I remember thinking as I was standing, I did, stand in line at the Circle K with my $20 bill, <laughs> ready, a very long line, by the way. I kept thinking like, I know the passage that we're going to read at church on Sunday. (laughs) And I also thought to myself that if I wake up Saturday morning a billionaire, I probably won't be at church Sunday morning. (laughs) You know? In fact, I think a lot of us thought that. Actually, earlier in the week, uh, we only bought two tickets earlier in the week um, because it was, what, like, you know, half of that. We... (laughs) Still would have been life-changing money. Still would have mean I probably would have discovered a call into something else. Because money is a little bit of security, isn't it? I actually met a, a lottery winner. This is a kind of a crazy story. But when I was in college, I was at a, coming home from a fraternity event. And there were a bunch of brothers in my car and a bunch of brothers in my best friend's car right ahead of us. And we were at a stoplight. And, you know, it's one of those stoplights where there's a turn lane here. And then he was in this lane, a couple more lanes. And it's a big intersection in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, the light turned green for him. Uh, so it was one of those things where the, the, the green light, the green arrow was kind of fading. And then it turned to the regular green light. 
So it fades, and he goes because it's a green light for him now. And all of a sudden, from the blue, now it's, it's late at night, out of the blue, this big, very expensive BMW flies through the intersection and tries to beat the traffic going forward. You've seen this happen. This, listen, I've only been in Tallahassee for two years. I just got to be honest with you all who have been here a long time. You're not great drivers. You're not great drivers. I, this, this is pro, maybe, maybe we don't need to say this out loud, but maybe we, red means stop and green means go. And uh, I lost a truck that I very much liked due to somebody who didn't follow that rule because they just ran the light, which I see literally three or four times a day in Tallahassee. Just pray over it. We need to be better about this. So he's trying to blow this light, right? And he's trying to beat out this traffic. And my friend Richard, who's right in front of it, he doesn't see it. He's in a 2005 Ford Focus, you know? And he just nails the back end of this BMW. So his front end is kind of, you know, busted up. And out gets these, out comes these guys from this BMW, and they are just cheery. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident, but cheery would not be the way that you would describe the mood, right? But they are just cheery. I mean, they were just laughing and having a good time, and we're all like, what? What? So, you know, we're like pulled over. Of course, like everybody's kind of stopped at this point and we're talking to him, seeing if everybody's okay. We do that thing where we check with everybody. Is everybody okay? Okay, yes. And then my friend Richard goes, man, I'm so sorry about your car. Now, it was not Richard's fault, as the police report said, but he said, I'm so sorry about your car. And one of the friends goes, ah, oh, don't worry about it. He's going to go buy another one tomorrow. And I thought, oh, we're dealing with a different tax bracket here. <laughs> right? Oh. Then we found out this man was, this is not a joke, this is his real name. His name was Abraham Shakespeare. And he had just won the lottery. Uh, He came up to Tallahassee to collect his earnings. We were in Lakeland at the time. Came to collect his earnings. He owed a little bit of child support. Turns out when you win the lottery and you owe the government money, they will meet you there. (laughs) And that's what happened with Abraham. And then he went out and bought a very nice car, and I'm sure another one the next day. Um, Money, especially winning the lottery, life-changing money, it provides a sense of security, right? Because money is like a basic building block of our world. In order for us to survive, we have to have money. We have to know money. We have to understand money. We have to use money well, right? We have to protect our money. In fact, this is even more so true. When we talk about poverty, think about it. When we talk about poverty, we don't talk about being poor in spirit, right? When we talk about, we don't talk about poverty, we don't talk about just being sad, or we don't talk about not having joy. Uh, We don't talk about lacking goodwill. We talk, speak about not having things, right? Like a house, like the folk who live just north of our sanctuary. We talk about not having money. We talk about not having food to eat. That's what describes poverty. And so survival in our world is inherently tied to possessions. And that's inherently tied to our desire to survive. Do you see how they have a connection 
That's the first point. The second point is that money can often be more than just safety, though. It can be more than just security. I want to go back through this passage real quick and just outline a few things because I think this is interesting and, and very helpful when we read uh, the scriptures to read it a couple of times. Someone said in the crowd, that would be this man who's about to talk, and he says to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, this is not an abnormal thing. It sometimes get looked, up, uh, looked down upon because it sounds greedy, right? Tell, tell my father to give me what he owes me right now. But this is not an abnormal thing. As an example, Jesus uses in his parable of the prodigal son another person who has requested his inheritance. So there, there would have been a, an older brother who would have inherited, by, by tradition, most of the estate. And there would be a younger brother who would inherit just a little bit. Um, and then the question is like, Where's that line, right? Like, what is that amount? And so a lot of times, younger brothers wanted to have that taken care of before the father passes away because then they're fighting brother against brother. So this is not abnormal. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, meaning Jesus, friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator of you? Now, I think this is interesting. Jesus is the Lord of the universe, like the king of the world. And yet he says, who sent me? Who, who am I to be the judge or arbitrator? I remember when I learned what the word arbitrator means. Uh, technically, Judge Judy is arbitrator Judy. <laughs> Do you know that? She's set to deal with things that, you know, real judges who don't have cameras don't have time to deal with. Who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator? Of you. And then he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. The Lord of the universe, the King of the world, he's separating himself from physical possessions. He's separating himself from the things of this world. I'm the Lord of the universe. He, he doesn't deny that. He just says, Who am I to be the arbitrator over your stuff? In other words, I'm of some other worldly. Life does not consist of abundance of possessions. And then he tells the parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. The land of a rich man, that's important, he was already wealthy, uh, produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and, bury lar and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, I love that, uh, my father teaches middle school, and he off, or used to teach middle school when I was in middle school. He teaches high school now. And uh, he, whenever he's explaining something, he'll say, you say to yourself, self. That's me. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, meaning this very night you are going to die. And the things you have prepared, whose will those be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. When we read this parable, I kind of think, yeah, that's probably what I would do too. If I had a harvest and that harvest all of a sudden doubled and I needed to store it somewhere, I would probably get a bigger barn 
or build a second barn. You know, when the shark's coming, he says, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Right? That's probably what I would do too. And you notice that Jesus doesn't criticize this directly. He doesn't criticize the storing of the grain. He doesn't criticize the storing of the harvest. What he actually comes after is this man's assumptions and this man's security to the next level. When he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So his anger is not in the building of the barn. This is important to hear. His anger is in the sense that this man can and will then live off this for many years. So it probably would be a shock for God then to say to him, hey, you're going to die tonight. And the point of this story is that, yes, money security, but it can also be this next thing where we just start coasting or we start living in comfort rather than doing something with those earnings. It might even be the point that God's the one that provided the harvest in the first place. So how dare you just take it upon yourself? When you die, who's going to gain from it? It's going to rot. I think the point of this story is to live like Rich Mullins, who is a personal hero of mine. If you were here last week, I told you about my Aunt Julie, who, by the way, my mom is here with me this morning. Uh, Julie was her sister. And um, I told you about her infatuation, her love for Amy Grant. I told you that I have albums still on my wall. Uh, Amy Grant was a, a huge influence in Julie's life. In that same way, a singer named Rich Mullins was an influence in my life. Now, if you don't know Rich Mullins, that's okay. I would encourage you to go home and YouTube him. You will get lost in his talks and his music for hours. I do it often. There are tons of people who have created little like homemade documentaries about him. I highly encourage you to watch all of them. They're all excellent. Um, Rich Mullins uh, passed away years ago, but he was a singer. If you know the song, Our God is an awesome God, he writes, he wrote that. It's his worst one, got to be honest. It's his, it was his most famous, but it was his worst one. Rich made a lot of money because he was a contemporary music creator in the early days of CCM. And he wrote a lot of songs. In fact, Amy Grant, one of Amy Grant's first songs of one of her first records was Sing Your Praise to the Lord. Rich wrote that song. Sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody, step and sing one more. Hallelujah. Rich wrote that. One time he was with a producer. This, you can find this on the docu- some of the hand- homemade documentaries. Rich was with a producer, and the producer asked him, how much is your quarterly earning in royalties? How much is your quarterly earning? And Rich said, I have no idea, man. <laughs> now, Rich was a little flaky guy. He, he lived in, you know, definitely had ADHD before we knew that, to call it that, you know. Uh, Rich just definitely lived kind of in the moment. And so it wasn't surprising to him that he didn't know how much it was. But the guy kind of pushed him a little bit more. He said, hey, Rich, like, how much are your quarterly earnings? And he goes, I don't know. He's like, well, the checks come to your house, right? So then what happens with them? And he says, no, they don't come to my house. They actually go to my church. And he says, what? Your ch- 
Your checks go to your church? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I selected a group of elders, and they kind of sit over my ministry, and then they, they take the money and they do with it what, what's needed around the church and around some of the missions that I kind of set out. And this, this is blowing the guy's mind. He's like, no, 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 that's your, that's your money. <laughs> that's your money that you get to put in your bank account, and then you get to decide what to do with it. And Rich goes, no, 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 no. I told those elders a long time ago that I just wanted to make the average salary of a working American. That's all I wanted to make was the average salary. At that time, just to show you how long ago it was, it was $24,600. I just want to make the average salary of a working American. Now, he made a lot more than that, but he wanted to take just that salary. And he said, the rest of it goes to the ministries of the church. It goes to the poor. It goes to outreach. It goes to mission it goes to whatever the church needs. And he says, you know, the reason is, is because if I knew that number, it'd be a lot harder to give it away. I think Rich draws that line really well of taking enough to survive and taking the abundance and giving it away. I don't know that I have the courage to do that, but it's inspirational to hear it done. Maybe that's our message. To find that line where we take just enough to survive, to do what we need, to take care of ourselves, and then not rest in the abundance. When Jesus tells a parable, and this is the last point, when Jesus tells a parable, it's often not about our relationship with each other. It's almost always about our relationship with Jesus. If you think about um, the prodigal son, Jesus is the father welcoming the son home with open arms. That is the promise of that parable. If you think about the Good Samaritan, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you think about the Good Samaritan, Jesus is the Good Samaritan, the one that has been rejected by the world, who is able to come and pull us out of the ditch. And so too here, maybe Jesus is showing us that someone who gives it away is the model in which we need to follow. Why? Because he didn't even hoard his own life upon himself. Instead, he gave it away. Even his life. And so that's what we've been called to do. I don't think this parable is calling us not to have a pension plan. I don't think this parable is, not call, is calling us to not have a savings account. I don't think it's calling us to even be poor. I think it's calling us to see the abundance and give it away. For each and every one of us, that's a little bit different. Sometimes for us, it can be more time than money. Sometimes for us, it can be more money than time. But when we have abundance, Jesus has called us to give it away.